I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, but also things like how is Moby connected with the CIA, and did the Decemberists really thank Robert Mueller in their liner notes, and seeing which band I can get to reunite. Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith with from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. Bite-sized album reviews for the music fan on the go who wants to stay in the know. This is Consequence of Sound. Welcome to Track by Track, a recurring feature here on Consequence of Sound where we explore an album one song at a time, along with the artist. We'll discuss everything from song's origins to tales from the studio, every story that brought this music to life. I'm Tyler Clark, senior writer at Consequence of Sound, and in this episode I'm speaking with Carl Bramel about his new record, Wished Out. If you love Track by Track, our album reviews, or any features here on COS, please consider rating and reviewing our shows on Apple Podcasts or rating and reviewing specific episodes on Podchaser. Your feedback helps our podcast grow and lets us know what you love about them, how you think they could improve, and even how you listen to them. Also, uh, we'd encourage you to reach out to us by leaving a review or hitting us up on the Consequence Podcast Network Facebook page. We are an independent music outlet, and it's you excellent listeners that make it possible for us to keep exploring music in new and exciting ways. So connecting with you about how you experience our content is majorly important to us. So thanks so much for tuning in. Now let's uncover all the stories behind Wished Out with Carl Bramel. Hello. Hello, this is Carl Bramel calling in. Hey, Carl, this is Tyler from Consequence of Sound. Thank you for... uh, How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you for making some time to chat today. So the new one's called Wished Out, and it comes just a couple years after your last record. And that, you know, looking at your the pace of your solo career, that's a pretty quick turnaround. What what inspired that kind of speed for you? Uh, A couple things. I... uh... I built a studio in my backyard, um, just kind of like a simple space, music space, and uh, just kind of having that available uh, just kind of was conducive to getting going. You know, I had a place to go write, and then I started, uh, once I, I kind of wrote some songs there and wrote some songs when I was uh, on tour, um, and then just I, had, I basically was figuring out how to use that space. And along the way, I was like, I think I'm making a record. And, you know, I just kind of got going. Um, so I think that really helped. Just having a space that was dedicated to whatever I needed to work on, whether I was, you know, doing overdubs for someone or writing with someone or uh, working on my own stuff. So I think that was the main main catalyst. Yeah, it's, it's so nice to have um, something that close at hand. I know a lot of artists talk about that. Did you ever feel any, like, once you built it, was there any kind of pressure at all to be like, oh, now I have this, you know, now it's like right there in the backyard, you know, I kind of have to yeah. have to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You spent money on it. You've got to have something to show for it. I think that also motivated it too. Yeah, maybe a little bit. It's like, okay, now what are you going to do, big shot? You got your own spot. You better do something. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, you mentioned that like that that sort of the that studio was sort of a, a catalyst for some of the songwriting here. I guess also just talk a little bit about um, you know before we get into like each track individually, um, just what the sort of writing and recording process was like. What sort of you know thoughts were going into it, and what you know how the collaborations went. I know that um, the contributors on on this record include um, you know some guys that you you spent a lot of time working with. Um, in your in your career, so what was that like to come back with them for this set of material? Um, so I started out with the idea that I was going to play everything, um, you know, just a working idea. I'm like, I'm in my studio. I'm going to try to play everything, you know. Yeah. And then you quickly realize what what is possible with that, you know. I I really. I hear drum beats that I want to play, but I just literally cannot do it. Like <laughs> I would have to stop doing everything else and learn. So, you know, it's like that quickly. Like, so, so I tracked dark matter and, uh, out of reach the first and last song on the record all by myself. And then I ended up keeping my drums on out of reach. And then I had, after I was like trying to edit and fix the drums on dark matter, I'm like, man, this is taking so long. I'm just going to call Russ. And he came over and he listened to it and he's like, okay, cool. And you know, he played it like twice and he was done. So I was like, all right, you know, I started with my working idea. It's obvious that I need to adjust it. And that's cool. Like, cause I'm just trying to figure out how to record. Like I have not recorded a drum kit. I, I took some audio classes in college but I hadn't like sat down and tried to engineer something complicated in a really long time. So I had a big learning curve as far as just the technical parts of it and the new space. And I needed to stop for a couple of days and build baffles and then try again. Um, so that kind of process is going along simultaneously with writing and like gathering songs. So, so once Russ came over we started talking and I've been working with him with some of, on some of his music at my space concurrently with working on this record, just kind of bartering basically like play on mine and we'll work on your stuff. Um, then we started recording some songs together, he and I, um, and we did a bunch of the songs where it's just the two of us working together. And then towards the end, I, uh, I asked Tom to come in and play on a couple songs. Cause I just knew I was feeling more comfortable with more and more complicated recording situations. I'm like, I can add another track. I can add Tom be fine. I have the headphones I need. You know, I'm going to Guitar Center or whatever, getting new headphone boxes and just slowly building it from from the bottom up. And so it ended up with the three of us tracking a couple songs. And then I had I didn't do keyboards at the same time, and those were all overdubs. Bo played on Out of Reach, Bo from the band, and uh, uh, Robbie Crowell came over and played keyboards on the rest of the stuff. So it was kind of like starting from just being alone and going, okay, how do I do this? And then I figured it out, you know, by the end I felt really good. And when I hear the record, I hear, I'm like, you know, it's hard for me to listen to it sometimes. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't like that vocal mic. I think I like this vocal mic more. So I'm listening to it from an engineer perspective. Um, but, but, and another thing, I thought I was going to mix the thing myself too. And I tried, I mixed it as close as I could, but then I just knew I needed to, um, hand that off to so i handed that off to my friend bill reynolds who was in the band band of forces and he's got a studio not far from me and uh i love working with him and he he i can always count on him to add like that extra layer of of creativity to it and uh um so i think 
that was another thing where I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to focus on what I am good at and let other people help me, you know? Yeah. And I understand, I mean, there's certainly that always, I think that impulse when you're creating anything to like, you know, have your vision sort of be as closely realized as you can, but you know, you always hit, you do hit your limitations sometimes, but I know that you did act as you, you were, you know, you produced the record, you did engineer it and you, um, you know, obviously, you know, wrote and performed it. Um, was there anything about this set of material in particular that, uh, you think was well suited to, to that approach to sort of a, not going it alone, but sort of having more direct control over, you know, some aspects that you might've farmed out in the past. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just fun to start with basically a germ of an idea and let it evolve. And also, you know, I do like going to a studio and having an engineer and having a control room and it's technically easier, but you can't go back. Like once you leave the studio, you can't go back and like recut something, you know? So, so I had the benefit of like totally falling on my face with the audio and then being able to redo it. And then in just recut a song, like a week later, I'm like, I don't, I'm work, working on it. And I'm like, oh, we need to recut this. You know, it's like, so I have, so many more options now just having this space the space has limitations but it gives you more options does that make sense it's like sure sure and uh yeah i don't know i I think that's kind of the story of how it got created um in a nutshell yeah well cool so let's uh you know since we've been talking so much about it we can get right into uh some of the uh the actual track by track um looks at the songs and we'll start off with dark matter that song i think i just had like a vocal the melody that little doot to doot melody i think i recorded it into my voice memos in my phone and i listened back to it and i started playing along with it and I had written down some ideas just about like to me that song is very obvious like if you read the lyrics that's what the song is about you know what I mean yeah it's like I can talk about um the other songs are maybe a little bit more you know be interpreted different ways but that song is pretty clear it's like one of the things that like the first verse of that song is like I want to live to see that we find life on other planets or whatever. It, it, it kind of came from um, reading an essay by Joseph Campbell. And he was writing like kind of right after the moon landing and talking about how there's like a shift in, you know, the human race's mentality because we've hit this milestone. We've done something that, you know, previously was just like out of quest, out of the question. That's an impossible thing to do. We've done it. And you look back at the earth and you see how small it is. You know, I'm like, I'm like hoping that we can have another mental shift in that sort of similar category. If, if, if we did find life on other planets or just something that's analogous to that, to help us kind of gather together and, and look at ourselves again from a healthy perspective, because it doesn't, it feels like the, the lesson of the moon landing has been lost on our generation. Does that make sense? Um, Absolutely. And you know, so that's kind of where it started from. And I just started listing off things that I think are crazy. You know, it's like, 
hopefully, hopefully this song doesn't get me in trouble. I mean, but it's like, I think it's kind of, uh, how do I say this? I find it frustrating that all politicians um, have to be affiliated with a religious organization in order to have any sort of viability to be elected. Sure. I find that really aggravating. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not trying to say that I have anything against religion in general. I just think it's not fair that I, I just feel like that's a sign of, uh, I'm trying to say this without like pissing anyone off. I, I feel like it's a sign of, um, you know, the times and it's also, it's, it's time for that to be okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah, And absolutely. then at the same time, I'm just absolutely horrified by our new president, who, in my opinion, is obviously an atheist, <laughs> you know? But, yeah, the signs, the signs the are there. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm just baffled. You know, I started working on that song before the election. And then, you know, so I, you know, I said the president is a woman, you know, like, and she says that she doesn't believe in something watching over us. And that's okay. And we're going to say that human beings can have a moral code without that sort of dogma associated with it. And, and for people that like that, that live in that world, I totally don't discount their worldview. I'm just saying it shouldn't be a hindrance to yeah. be elected. Playing, all, playing field. So, you know, I yeah. list, I'm listing stuff like that. I start want, worried about the environment. It's like, it's, it's a very explicit song and, you know, and I think the overall, theme of the record kind of kicks off with this really specific it's sort of like how i started the record you know just by myself this is a very explicit song and the rest of it kind of expands from there it's a little more nebulous you know the ideas of you know knowledge and you know the the vanishing horizon of what we think is possible is that once we get to that place then we're then there's always another there's always another horizon beyond that. And that's just kind of how science is going and human knowledge is going. And it's, and it's magical and wonderful, you know? So there's like a mystical aspect to a scientific approach. If you, if you have the right kind of perspective. Absolutely. And I think that that's where a lot of the songs are coming from, to be honest. Um, Yeah. And I think that the power of like dark matter as a metaphor for all that, that's sort of like, it has like a mystical quality to it, but it's still something that's grounded in, in science. I think that is a, was an interesting choice. I mean, is that, I assume, is that something that guided your choice of that on that song? Yeah. You know, it's like when Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson did his new Cosmos series, it kind of like reinvigorated a lot of people in in thinking about cosmological things and talking about, um, about pale blue dot, you know, finding our perspective in the world. And the fact that like, you know, there's this unseen force that's out there, we're going to figure it out eventually. But if we can't keep the human race going, it's just all going to get wiped away by dark matter or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And and no one, it's just gone, (laughs) you know? So the meaning of our world, in my opinion, it comes from our relationships and our human experience of being conscious and whatever that means. But it's like, that's where the meaning is. And if we can't figure it out, no one's going to care. <laughs> it's just yeah. gone. There's not going to so, be anybody left to care. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. And hopefully it's not like a depressing song for me. It's more of, you know, just getting it off my chest. Cause it's just 
frustrating yeah. uh, to see to see the battle of ideas going awry um, right now. Yeah, I totally uh, I think that that does come through in the song. Uh, just to move on to the next one, which is the title track, Wished Out. I'm curious, um, how did that come to be the title track of the record, and what does it sort of represent that captures the record as a whole? Meanwhile, birds swim in the fountain Water springs down from the mountains See that rainbow's just pretty light If it fades away, we will be all right I'm only a star It's not coming back You know, it, it's interesting when, you, when you're putting together like your album artwork and, you know, you're pairing it with the music. I was working with my friend Eric Hopper, who's doing a lot of the video work, and he's also a photographer. And he, he sent me a bunch of pictures, and there's a picture of a rainbow with a bird. I don't know if you've seen the album art. Yeah. But um, I saw that picture, and I was just like, you know, looking at the track titles, and I'm like, wished out. You know, it's like that kind of looks right to me. And uh, it kind of mates together. So that's kind of why I picked it. And I really, I'm really happy with that song. It's like the last song we recorded. I feel like I was engineering engineered it well. You know, there's like, I'm like, it feels like a good song. Yeah. And his picture reminds me sort of like the Muppet movie soundtrack or something, you know, the rainbow connection. And I was just like, that's something that I like. Like, let's just go with that. Yeah. And it definitely feels it has um, when you say that it was the last song you recorded, it does kind of have that loose sort of like end of, you know, end of the school year feel to it, uh, including that there's that um, some wicked solo work uh, at the end. How do you know when something like that? fits into a given song like what what is the is there a moment where you go like ah this is a song that can support something like that you know it that all came i was at newport folk fest and i was watching michael kiwanaka i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name correctly but i was watching his band and i was totally blown away by them and i just felt like and I was standing there watching, I'm like, they're so patient. Like this song is evolving and he's giving everyone time to play. And, uh, and I had already started the song, but then I was like, I'm going to need to put a section in it. Sort of like his live show where it's just like, we're just, we're just grooving here, you know? Um, so I got a little inspiration from his band. I don't know who his guitar player is, but he was really great. And I was like, I'm going to just give this a go, <laughs> you know? So um, that's kind of where the guitar, I mean, obviously it's like, I, you know, I'm into guitars and playing guitar solos yeah. and stuff, but it kind of, that kind of kicked me and I was like, I just need to be a little expansive on this one to give the record a little balance because all the rest of the songs are three or four minutes long. Radical. Just, um, speaking on guitars for a minute, what, what guitars were you using on, on this record? Is it hmm. anything, any secret weapons or anything? Yeah, I used... I use this Duesenberg guitar. It's a German guitar a lot, but I'd say about two thirds of the record was on an old Silvertone guitar that I got in Minneapolis um, that I had, I've had for a year or so and I kind of hadn't found um, use for it yet. So I started using that a bunch on this record, figured out the right combination of amp and guitar. Uh, at first I didn't think it was going to, I was going to sell it and I started using it a ton. So, that would be the that would be the guitar that sort of saved me on this one. <laughs> uh, 
Awesome. So then to track three, which is Malibu Shadow, I know that just reading in the press materials and also um, listening to the, the record, uh, I noticed that there's a few songs where California is kind of a recurring theme. Time seems to be shrinking to a point where it stops. I can't tell if you like me or not. The shadow of a wall, maybe someone else will shadow tomorrow. And I'm just wondering what inspirations you draw from that state, both in terms of like its natural landscape, because I know that's something that, that, um, comes into play on the next track, starting from scratch, uh, but also like it's mm. it's musical traditions because I mean I definitely detect certainly throughout your work like a lot of um, like Laurel Canyony kind of sounds, and I'm just wondering what yep. California sort of means means to you as an as an artist and a hiker even. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I I grew up in Indiana, as you know, and you know to me to live in a landlocked state for your whole life, you just can't help but romanticize, you know the California lifestyle. And I finally, I did move out there. Um, and I lived out there for 10 years. I lived in LA for 10 years. So I have a pretty strong connection and friends out there. Um, and I love San Francisco. I mean, I love all parts of California really. And I, I moved back to Tennessee and, um, I went and took a little solo trip to visit Jim and Bo and to see some friends in LA and I drove out to Malibu and just rented, like got a VRBO just on a mountain. And, uh, I mean, I called it Malibu shadow just cause kind of, I wrote it there, but the song's not necessarily about California, that particular song. I just thought it kind of looked cool, uh, sounded right. Um, the inspiration for that song in particular was more, um, I kind of lifted it from, um, because this writer, he's an archaeologist, anthropologist guy named Lauren Isley, who writes these really incredible philosophical kind of essays and stories about his his job and his life in science. But they're not about specific science very much. It's more just sort of the feeling. Like he'll he'll find a you know a skull of an animal, and he'll have this like connection, and he'll be able to like have have a better it's really hard to articulate vast time you know deep time and think about how much time it really took from it to be that little skeleton of this rodent to a human being you know so that to me has been a powerful idea as of late just trying to really look zoom out again and look at like how long it took and uh you know and, and then as a result you realize how short a human life is like the, sh the shadow that I'm making is going to be someone else's tomorrow. You know, it's like it's there's someone else is going to have a similar experience that I'm having when I'm gone. You know, that, that sort of realization. And that so be, it's like zooming out and zooming in at the same time. Yeah, I was going to say that can be a sort of a, uh, a tough realization to come to sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it happens, you know when you wake up hungover one day or, you know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, what am I doing? What, wait, where is everybody? You know, yes. what, what did I accomplish? You know, it's like you have these little existential moments where you're like, you see yourself and you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> it's got that like David Byrne, like how did I get here? Sort of <laughs> vibe to it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite songs. 
disappeared like a lizard into the chaparral. I know nobody's been here yet, cause I broke the spiderwebs. I'm starting from So starting from scratch, the the next track on the record, track number four, uh, I know that uh, this one, I know for at least from what I've read, that this one was sp- uh, inspired by a sort of specific instance. Um, and, yeah. And I'm and I'm wondering if you can share that story uh, with us sure, right now. Sure. Of course. So yeah, I was staying at the on out in Malibu for a few nights just by myself and hadn't talked to anyone for a while, <laughs> you know, and I. I I took a drive up the mountains and it was really cloudy. There was like a huge cloud bank. And I'm sure for people who live out there, they realize what's about to happen, but I didn't. And I drove driving up the hill and I drove up through the clouds, which is super magical. And then, so my hike was above the clouds and I was just, you know, it's one of those things you're, you have low expectations and then you're just like super excited. And I was taking a hike and I was just by myself. Um, And I think there's something to, taking a sabbatical when you become a middle-aged person, you know, you just need a second to catch your breath and just be alone and, and walk. And I think it's good for your brain chemistry to take a walk, you know, it's like a cure for what ails you, at least for me. Um, And so I took that walk and I just started having ideas, you know, I'm like breaking through the spider webs and, you know, my expectations were, were, um, exceeded and I just felt kind of refreshed and it just gave me an idea to start writing you know I came back I came back from that and I sat down and I just kind of like started going and then expanding on that idea um so yeah I guess what is the idea I mean so I mean I know that obviously there's the idea of sort of starting from scratch I think is a is a powerful one for a lot of people especially uh you know right now when when things are feeling sort of like you know, we've we've kind of gotten backed into a corner in a lot of ways. What, how does it apply to you on, I guess, this particular album or at this point in your career when you're, you know, you're already a, a well, sort of well-established musician? Like, what is the power of that feeling of being able to kind of like reset and, and reboot? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I'm glad you say I, I'm an established musician. It's I don't never feel that <laughs> way. I always feel like I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm, I'm walking up the hill, you know, or I'm, you know, just exploring dumbfounded through things that, you know, and then playing with my morning jacket has been like such an incredible ride and so amazing and still going and everything. But um, I think, isn't it, it's like, it's funny how human nature is though. It's like, even, even if you are a professional musician, people still, it's just human nature. That that's people see you as one thing only, you know, and I think that applies outside of the music world, you know, what's your role? What's your, where, how do you fit into all this? You know, what's your, but really the complete picture of anyone is just vastly, you know, there's just so many different angles to every person and what they do and what they do well. And, you know, it's like, you should always feel, uh, there's always an opportunity to just start over, you know, it's like, here we are, you know, I'm going to make, put out a record and I put out other records in the past, but I'm like, let's pretend this is the first one. You know what I mean? It's like, who cares? <laughs> let's start over. You can pick out a new hero. 
I could, I could do something else if I wanted to. It's sort of more like do whatever you feel like doing and don't feel bad to fall on your face. And, um, geez, I'm trying to think, well, it's the, all the lyrics are in that song to, to pin it down. But that's in my mind, that's what it's about, you know, and it's, it's a personal song. It's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just rambling now, but, but that's kind of where, where I'm at with it. So I know that uh, in I've also heard in you know in you speaking about this record there was a, a sort of a sense to a sense of wanting to maybe deliver a, a more energetic or um, I think you said get things moving a little bit after you know you've, yeah. you've done some you've done some really great sort of meditative pastoral stuff in the past but I think that like the energy on this record especially on on the next track on Rain Check um, does sort of have a a harder rocking I mean this song almost has like a like a pub rock vibe to it. How, how did that yeah. sound fit with like, cause this is the song also that's sort of about like the idea of existential crises, both sort of on a national and a like personal level, at least to me, that's, that's what I got from mm-hmm. it. And I'm just wondering like how the sounds and the sentiments of this song, like reflect one, you know, one way of dealing with that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I remember sitting there and like, pounding it out, pounding out this song. I just kind of had those two chords and, um, to me, it is, it is like getting out frustration. It's like, we're having all these like heady conversations or what, you know, I'm reading books and like, you know, considering myself a pseudo intellectual here at most and pondering ideas. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just like, fuck it. It's like, fuck it, let's just go get drunk and hang out with your friends. And it's like, just to let off steam, you know, just, just the, the preposterousness of everything that's happening. You're just like, sometimes you just gotta let it rip. And like, um, and one of my favorite songs is that song is, um, is that all there is by Peggy Lee? Sure. Um, I don't know if you've heard that song. Oh yeah. You know, I kind of quote it, quote it a little bit in there and, you know, just that thing, like, let's enjoy this moment, you know, even, and don't worry about tomorrow and let's not worry about this other complicated stuff. And, um, and it's just fun. It just felt like fun and, you know, touring, touring, um, and playing live sort of gives you a little bit more perspective on what goes over and what feels good in the studio versus feels good on stage. A lot of times recording mellow music is, so satisfying so fun in the studio and you get kind of you get on tour and you're playing and people don't even aren't really paying attention it's like sometimes you just want to grab them shake them a little bit (laughs) so that's kind of why i wanted to have a little bit more movement and stuff i mean it's not like a heavy rock record by any means but uh for me compared to what i usually do it definitely is Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, how have I mean? Have you have you taken these out on the road yet? Have they have they gotten in front of audiences yet? And they've I've played like half of these songs before on tour. I've been I did the tour last November, mm. just like a week long. We tested some of them out and see. It was really fun. So yeah, yeah, I'm just, good about them. Because I'm always curious as to how 
things change and adapt into a live setting versus, you know, in the studio, because obviously it can be such a uh, different dynamic. And these do feel like songs that would, yeah, translate very, very well and sort of very, like, um, enticingly to the stage. Yeah, and the good news is I have this incredible band that I'm touring with all fall called Steelism, and they're from Nashville. And uh, they're an instrumentals band mostly. I mean, they have some singers on their records, but um, so they've been cool enough to jump on. And so they'll play and then I'll play. We'll we'll all play together at the end. Mm. And um, Spencer, it's Jeremy Fetzer and Spencer Cullum, so it's the guitarist and the pedal steel. So we will have two pedal steels going. So we like to, I can learn, I can learn a lot from Spencer. He's, he's beyond me on the steel for sure. <laughs> so, so the, and those guys didn't play on the record, so they're going to have their interpretation of it. And, you know, we've already worked on half of the songs together. So, and it, it'll, I, I, when I was a kid or when I was in college and I'd go see a band, like say, for example, guided by voices or something, their records sounded so different than their show. And I always loved that, you know, it's like their records were just, <laughs> yeah. you know, record on a four track cassette and you get to the show and they're just loud and massive. And yeah, they're a whole different. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, just, it kind of like, just it like turns the screw on you and you're like, Oh man. Yes. <laughs> you know? So I'm excited that they didn't, I, I, I do want to record with these guys eventually, but I think it's kind of cool to have, if you're familiar with the record, you'll get to the show and you'll be like, Oh, I know this song. Oh, it's, it's close, but you know, it's kind of better. <laughs> well, get out of here, away from the glare of everyone's eyes, out in the darkness, watching the fireflies, just with you. So we go from that, we go from this sort of like, um, you know, this very rollicking song to a one of the quieter songs on the record, uh, yeah. Just For You. And uh, I got to say, I mean, I, I thought that the, the transition really worked. And I, I was really interested uh, in talking a little bit about the arrangement on this one, because this one is sort of um, dominated by, uh, you know, really pretty piano and sax. It almost has like a noir feeling or like an old standard um, how does mm-hmm. that, how did that arrangement serve this particular song? Did you have anything in mind when you were, when you were working it up this way or? Yeah. You know, uh, there's a couple records that I love. There's, um, a record by a trombonist named Jack Teagarden and his, oh, yeah. uh, he's like a new Orleans, uh, his, there's, he has a record called think well of me. It's, it's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, and it's the kind of thing where he's kind of a crooner. He's usually like a straight ahead New Orleans jazz musician, but he made this record with like a string section and, you know, beautiful, like kind of melancholy songs. And he, and he, I'm just picturing him, he's singing, you know, and like the studio's filled with smoke and he's like singing in his tender, like kind of wounded voice. And then he picks up his trombone and just starts soloing, you know? So I kind of was like, I'm sort of thinking about that, about, about Jack Teagarden and, and, but, but the song itself, like the, the story of the song is more kind of, is more, 
I do say tie a yellow ribbon about the, it, it. It's uh, it references like that old song, tie a yellow yeah. ribbon around the old oak tree or whatever. <laughs> so I kind of nixed that too from like a 40 song. Um, but the story of it is my son, who's now nine. Um, he was in first grade a couple of years ago and, you know, was friends, you know, his friends with boys and girls is so great. There's one particular girl, and we found out that they had gotten married on the playground. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was really, really young, awesome. Young love. And, uh, but then it turned out that they were getting kind of made fun of, right? So it, they, they they'd made a pretty mature decision, in my opinion. They they actually legitimately are friends. It's not like just like a one-sided thing. Like, we'll, they'll get together and hang out, and and they'll play, they'll play and stuff. Um they decided to keep their relationship secret. They're like, yeah, we'll tell everybody we're not married, but we are. <laughs> and, uh, and so they're still pals and it kind of diffused everything. And actually every, it kind of became cool to be ma- quote unquote married And you know, and I'm sure it all kind of dissipated, but in that moment I was like, I'm proud of them. You know, they're, they're friends. They're like really friends. Yeah. And that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's... So, you know, and I kind of went from that and embellished it and, but that was sort of the inspiration. It's just for, this is just for you and no one else. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, that's a lesson that I think a lot of adults could stand to learn in some cases too. You know, they're like yeah, being exactly. able to manage themselves. To, yeah, you don't have to broadcast everything about your relationship to everyone. So this is, um, I mean, we've talked about uh, on this record, I mean, I think you've said a couple of times that there are some, some, uh, you know, fairly personal songs on the record. And I was just wondering if, if Second Fiddle is one of those, because it felt like one to me, but I know that as a listener, that's not always the case. And so I was just, uh, I wanted to check in and see if this was something that, that was sort of from, from the heart, from your uh, personal perspective. Yeah, I, yeah. It's been when I think back on like growing up in Indiana, going to Bloomington, being in bands, you know, at one point there was like a pretty happening music scene in Bloomington in the late nineties and like bands were starting to get signed and we would drive to New York and play in the East village and people would take us out to dinner and we'd stop at use a payphone and try to, you know, get more shows. <laughs> like I'm, I'm sort of thinking back on those times and like all the work that it took and like how fun it was too, back when there was literally no stakes involved. Um, So that's kind of where it began. And yeah, you know, it's like, I guess it is me trying trying to deal with being, I've always said, it's like, I am really comfortable and I love being in a band that's a collaboration and not being the focus of it all. Um, I just feel that's like my natural habitat. So that's, that's who I am, you know, that's, and I'm okay with that. Like I need friends and that's very apparent on this record. I need collaborators and I, I don't necessarily want to be the lead singer or or whatever. I mean, I'm doing this and and it's great. And it's like fucking terrifying um, compared to the normal 
things that I do. So, so that's sort of what it's about, you know, and it's, and I am, I have been able to live out a lot of my hopes and dreams as a musician. And I was thinking back as a teenager or whatever, practicing guitar, you know, and then get to do that for your living um, is awesome. You know, so it's sort of reflecting all that. And, um, and then, you know, it's like, there's certain people I look up to, obviously everyone, all musicians have heroes. Like one of my heroes is Ronnie Lane from the faces who I know a little bit about, but I just love his music. And I love, and I've always, I love Simon and Garfunkel and like thinking about art Garfunkel, just kind of musing about it and wondering about it, what those guys did and um, how their careers went, you know, how they sort of navigated the same, the same things that maybe you're thinking about right now. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I, I'm, I'm at peace doing lots of different things. It's like, I think that's really the the end result of that song. It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to play with Jim and everyone and I'm going to play with Ray LaMontagne and I'm going to produce records and I'm going to do all this other stuff. Um, and that's, that's really the full picture of me. Um, I just wonder, so, yeah. I just wonder also um, quickly on this one, um, because I think it, it, one of the things that I like about it and that I find interesting about it is that it falls into uh, a sort of grand tradition of um, musicians reflecting on sort of the realities of the industry and their careers um, through song. And I, I always find those um, songs to be particularly interesting and revealing. I just wonder how you um, make that relatable to listeners who may only see like the finished product and not consider the day to day all the time. Right. Oh, that's fine. I don't, I feel like if someone can get a different interpretation out of it, it's great. You know, for me personally, it's always been like the, my main beef with the music industry and it, and I'm glad you don't think it's self-indulgent song. Cause I think it's, you know, it could be viewed that way. I mean, all of this shit could be, I guess, <laughs> but, um, you know, thinking back kind of was talking about being in college and we'd be trying, we'd be going to New York to play. We drive all the way to New York, all the way through fucking Pennsylvania to play one show you know our hopes and dreams were like you know pinned on this show you know we're gonna get a record deal or whatever um and i have met so many people that work in the music business with labels and publishers and all that stuff they have job diversity they i mean i'm sure you know they lose jobs but it seems like they move around pretty swiftly from thing to thing and when you're in a band you're all in you know what I mean? Especially when you're in your twenties, you are all in your parents are saying, this is a horrible idea. You know, you're thinking I should get a real job, but you're fucking all in. And if it doesn't go well, you're screwed. And so <laughs> that's always been so frustrating. And then meanwhile, the people that work at the labels and stuff, they, they, they're smart in the way that, that they keep their lives diverse and they make smart decisions and maybe they get fired here, but they, get an interview the next day somewhere else. But when your band gets dropped, you're painting houses. Like you're not anywhere near your guitar anymore. So I think that's part of, you know, that's my story, but I think the song could hopefully be interpreted a little bit differently, you know, for someone who doesn't have any idea of that day-to-day stuff. Sure. And I think the line, I think um, fame don't take the pain away is such a, uh, an evocative and sort of, you know, it's, I think it's a line that will stick with a lot of people sticks with me. Certainly. Cool. Good. 
Alright, so we've reached the the end of Wished Out, and we're uh, we're at the the song Out of Reach, which I believe you said was one of the two that you originally um, did sort of ever, uh, did everything on. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I played everything on that except the piano and keyboard. Mm. So sequencing wise, I'm just curious. Um, you know, this is obviously that, that's something that you know I know obviously is goes into the process of making an album and sort of deciding, you know, what, what songs go where and everything. How do you think that like this song functions as the album's like closing statement? I think mean, I think it was sort of a function of how it end, like musically ended with the, the, the coda that sort of repeats the dream will always be out of reach, which is sort of a, a bookend with dark matter, which is really specific. And this song's a little more nebulous. You know, it's a little bit more of a mishmash of ideas and lyrics, but that end is just a round, you know, it's like a repeating thing. I thought, I think, I think originally I thought it was going to fade out, you know, but I just left it. So I think that's why it's at the end. And I'm also just wondering about, um, you know, speaking of that coda, the song definitely, um, it's a, it's a really dynamic, um, composition. You know, you've got like the pounding piano in the beginning, and then there's a little bit of a, a harder rock middle and then that the gentle coda at the end um so just if uh, talk me through the the how that sort of came about in terms of writing and recording and um and composing and, and maybe also how that sort of movement through the song like serves or reinforces the the message that you're hoping to send with it um man it was just sort of like following my nose in a way like i had i had this idea of a melody going up as the chords went down. So I kind of, it, it's a little bit like Baroque counterpoint in a way. If I took out all the, if I just played the root note and the melody note of the, um, the chord progression at the beginning. Um, and it just seemed like a maze, like that chord progression seemed like a maze and like something you'd want to just sort of swirl around and get lost in. So I built the, I built the beginning. I knew that the beginning was going to be that and I knew it was going to come back. And so I built the body in the middle. And then um, to me, it sort of sounds like an Elliot Smith song or something. It's like, oh, that's what I wanted it to be. <laughs> like, I'd be lucky to have it be even remotely as cool as his songs. But um, so I got kind of inspired by those records. And I feel like it's a good, uh, it's just a journey, you know? It's like you, you start with, you know, maybe a frustrating situation and then you kind of have a release at the end and then you're just you're hopefully being at peace with not knowing things. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that I, I feel like that, you know, as we sort of wrap up here and get to maybe some final thoughts, um, that that was one of my big, I think, takeaways from the record is that, that it, it is this sense of sort of like looking around and sort of having a a, you know, realistic view of sort of the world and your place in it and yourself and finding a way to like move through that. And I think that, that that's something that's also reflected in, in the title track as well that I think um, yeah. comes up. And I, so I just wonder like um, your thoughts on that or anything else that you'd like to, uh, to share before, before we say goodbye today. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. That may be a better answer than what I gave for Wished Out being the title track, because it really is. It's sort of like being at peace with being at peace with having your dreams sort of like blow up in your face. Not not literally like my dreams aren't blowing up in my face, but just like like seeing where you went wrong, seeing where you were doing wishful thinking, and when it you know like you know specifically in political things or in your life when you when all of a sudden things turn and go totally different direction you have to take some of that upon yourself and be like you know what i wasn't really paying attention all along like i thought everything was cool but i wasn't paying attention and it's on me and now i have to really look even closer at what's going on or what's going on with me or what can i do you know do i participate do i resist do i do I become a hermit or do I, you know, what, what is it, what is it that I have to do now? So this doesn't happen again, you know? Um, yeah, I think that is kind of the theme of the record. Well, if you find out what you have to do, be sure to let us know. <laughs> yeah. It's out of reach. Who knows? That's right. All right. Carl Bramel, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us today here at Consequence of Sound. Yeah. Thanks so much. You can also follow Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network on Facebook. And be sure to check out our other music, movie, and television podcasts. Just head over to consequenceofsound.net to explore all of our series. Consequence Podcast Network.